welcome to the broadcast of the First Baptist Church in Riverton, Kansas. We're so glad you joined us today as Pastor Aaron Williams shares a timely message from God's Word. At FBCR, the vision is to first and foremost build the church on the solid rock truth of Jesus Christ. Second, to see people saved and set free by accepting Jesus as their personal Lord and Savior and then following Him in believer's baptism. Third, we want to develop fully committed disciples of Christ who will grow spiritually in their faith and worship Him in spirit and in truth. And finally, to send an army of believers into the world as missionaries, sharing the gospel with those who don't know the Lord. Jesus is the rock that won't move. His word is strong and powerful, and His love can never be undone. Now with today's message, here's Brother Aaron. Let's get into the Bible, and if you would, please turn your Bible to Matthew chapter 21. We'll be in two verses of Scripture, it'll be our text today. Matthew chapter 21, verse 12 and 13. And Jesus went into the temple of God, and cast out all them that sold and bought in the temple. And He overthrew the tables of the money changers, and the seats of them that sold doves. And he said to them, It is written, My house shall be called the house of prayer, but you have made it a den of thieves. Wow. What a powerful text of Scripture. Jesus goes into the temple, and we see what he does right here. We just read it in the text. Man, this is an uncomfortable spot to be if you're really thinking about what Jesus, what you think He would do. Kind of when you think about His reaction to life circumstances, His reaction, this was a very severe reaction to something. And you see that He goes to the temple. This isn't the first time. Actually, in John chapter 2, He goes early and actually makes a cord, a whip, if you will. Now, you don't think of Jesus. I mean, when you start thinking about a picture of Jesus or Him dealing with something, I'm not sure we would always think of this first, of like Jesus going down to the temple and just, just throwing somebody out. I'm not sure I think of Jesus as just like making a cord to go in and John 2 and to the church, to the temple. And so why were there people there in the temple that were money changers? Well, from a practical viewpoint, there were money changers because they may have come from another region. And as they were going to come to the temple, they would need to exchange their money and actually get it into a currency that was acceptable right there in the temple. There were also those who were selling things like turtle doves because of the sacrificial requirements of the temple. So there was a reason that they were all there. They weren't just completely... Uh, uh, out of the way or in a posture. This was a ministry during the day of Jesus, the time that He lived. These were legitimate ministries for the temple. You would help people exchange money to get in a proper currency. You might sell them a dove because they were going to offer one to sacrifice or whatever it may be. But what was very unusual was the way Jesus responded to the temple. And He goes in, and as we read in this text, He starts overthrowing tables that the money changers were using, and the seats of them that sold doves. So he wasn't even going to give them somewhere to sit. It's like, can you see Jesus? I mean, picture in your mind, he's into the temple. Now, I'm thinking of something more elegant than this. I wouldn't think of this 
You know what I mean? I mean, I think of Jesus, when I just start thinking of Him naturally, I think of Jesus maybe walking up a hill and, G, and John, his cousin, saying, there's the Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world. I mean, I think of Jesus like on the Sermon on the Mount, on the mountain, and just a lot of people are listening to Him speak, and, and their lives are being made whole and transformed. I think of Jesus like feeding the multitude. I mean, I can think of this just coming into Jerusalem as we're now starting to prepare ourselves in the coming weeks for Resurrection Day. I think of all these, but I don't first think of Jesus going down to the temple and just, just like throwing the tables over. I mean, don't you always think of Jesus just meek and mild? And He probably coming in, but He's really not that meek or mild here. He's like, what would it look like to you to walk into church today and Jesus is just like throwing tables over and taking your chair you're sitting on and just like kicking it 12 feet away from you? Because really, if we make it practical, this is what's going on here. And He says something that's so important. He said that my house shall be called the house of prayer, but you have made it a den of thieves. Wow. What was going on in there in legitimate ministries that caused Jesus to respond to that ministry as a thief? As a thief. I mean, man, it makes me think about ministries within the church. How does Jesus look at it? I definitely don't want to be a, a money changer that Jesus says, you're a thief. But he does something. He said, my house should be called the house of prayer. And at the end of last week's message, I begin to emphasize prayer. And we, we come into contact in the text of Scripture last week where the disciples could not accomplish a ministry that Jesus did accomplish. And the, the difference there was that he said, this only comes out with prayer and fasting. So he was telling the disciples, you're not praying or fasting, therefore when you go to do this, you are not accomplishing what, what you're not only expecting, but what God wants to accomplish in the situation. So he was telling the disciples, like, you're very powerless because you're just not praying. And so I know since then I've heard from many of you, and man, God is challenging your life in prayer. And if I'm being very practical in the Christian life, and, and there are others who are listening, it's, it's easy to come to church. I think the easy things to do would be, you know, everything but prayer. And I'm not talking about like when we drive down the road or get in the shower and pray. I think it's just easier to do everything but get in that place where you're in secret prayer with the Lord. That secret prayer. And this was the difference of the text last week. And now we see the emphasis of the temple. He said, look, my house, Jesus is saying to the temple, those in the temple, my house will be called the house of prayer. In other words, if it's going to be my house, Jesus is saying, there's going to have to be somebody emphasizing prayer more than anything else. And so it's not that some of the other ministries weren't vital or important to that day, but if there's no prayer, then everything else simply is thievery compared to the posture God wants His house to not only be in, but to be fruitful because. And so there's a lot of ways in our culture today, there are a lot of things uh, you could try to build a church with. There are so many changes, and you could have a hundred opinions on how to do that. But one thing we should not have a differing opinion on in Christianity is that power truly comes from prayer. 
that power comes from the place uh, uh, that is from God to the saint, to the Christian, through prayer, through this time when you're alone. In fact, when he was on the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew 6, he says to them, I want you to get in a closet and close the door and then pray in secret because the God who hears in secret wants to reward you openly. And so he was instructing his disciples on how to minister to the world at a later date and setting an example in their life for where they needed to be and what was most important. And as you read the Sermon on the Mount, keep in mind he was instructing his disciples. The rest of the audience just got to listen. And so today we're like that here. I'm really giving a message of instruction to the body as an under-shepherd in this church, but others are going to get to listen to this, and I'm sure that God will use that. But here in the church, the emphasis, we want to be absolutely in prayer. And we see God beginning in this season to bring us to the place of prayer. Not that we haven't prayed, but this is going to be a little different. And so we see the breeding ground of prayer beginning to be cultivated by God in the church because for Himself, He wants to make sure what He produces has to do with your response directly to Him and nothing else. And there are many times that we can mean well, but get in the way, and we have all kinds of programs and ways we would do it, styles of preaching, all kinds of music, all of these things get in, in, in these uh, important conversations that we have on how we should be doing church. But at the end of the day, Jesus is saying, I want my temple, I want my church, I want them to be noted for a place of prayer that they know I mean in this town that in the next few years somebody knows when they ask you to pray in this church something in their life is going to happen because a God of glory the one who's eternal that hears the prayer of the saint has an arm big enough to stretch into any situation and begin to make a difference for the life and this is where we need to be but why is it so hard to pray do you ever notice how you could just talk yourself out of it I mean, we were in a class before service here, and it's so easy to think, man, pastor, you know, I'm preaching this morning on prayer and, and, and uh, quiet, kind of secret prayer that's personal for you and the Lord. But why is it so difficult? Why does it fight so much against what we want to do? Why is it easier just to like turn the radio on and listen to a great worship song? I'm not against that. Well, is it easier to turn on and listen to the preacher preach? Sure, I'm sure it is. But why is it so difficult to get in that place of a closet and begin to pray, knowing the only person that will hear you pray is God? So I want to encourage us in the weeks ahead, and I know everybody's listening here. I could tell just by your posture. To, let's let God work on that in our life. I'm encouraging you to set apart a time and begin to pray. I want you to pray inwardly and outwardly. And what I mean by that is I want you to get in a closet and an outward prayer is one of the prayer, maybe some of your needs. They're outward things. They're needs that you have in your life. But an inward prayer are the deep-seated things that we really need from God. This is the area where we're broken on the inside. This is the area where we have questions that have not yet been answered for us. This is the area where we really struggle. These are the areas of bitterness or unforgiveness. These are the areas that God can only cultivate while you and Him are alone in His presence. 
And see, he does this not because he's abusive or he wants you to do something you don't like. He does it because he's a wonderful father. And he wants to spend some time with you one-on-one and cultivate and begin to nurture what he wants in your life. And last week, as we was to the end of the text, you've seen that I tried to make the point that the disciples, after seeing all the great, wonderful miracles, never said, Jesus, will you teach us how to walk on water? Or Jesus, would you teach us how to multiply bread like this and feed 5,000? Although later in their ministries, there's no question Jesus began to do the miraculous with their lives. But in Luke chapter 11, verse 1, they said, Jesus, after He had returned from prayer, will you teach us how to pray? And that's my petition as a pastor today. God, will you teach us how to pray? Not just what to say, but will you teach us how to come to you? Will you teach us when to come to you? Will you teach us a discipline? Because after all, a disciple is a disciplined person where Christ is concerned. And we're willing to be disciplined in the area of prayer. And God, I need to have confidence. Maybe you're saying, Pastor, I need to have confidence that God actually hears my prayer. How, do I do, how is that confidence built? You pray in secret. Pray prayers that nobody hears but God. So that while God answers those prayers, you know He heard your prayer. And this is the common way that God builds faith in the saint that God is hearing them. is because you can just get alone. But what if we never get alone? And everyone around us always tries to help fix our situation. I mean, meaning well, but what's the difference of getting alone with God and just saying, God, there's nobody but you that I can trust with this conversation. There's no one but you. What is it about this in this text of Scripture in the temple that he's so frustrated with? Are they not the place of prayer? Because he said in contrast, my house shall be a place of prayer. They're going to call this a place of prayer. They're going to know that when you come to me, that I have linked you directly to God. I mean, do they know that about our ministries? Do they know that, I mean, does God know that? That like, hey, I can trust this pastor or this church with everyone that comes here, that they're going to be linked directly to God. That they're not going to be linked just to a pastor or to the worship leader or what they like or don't like, but they're going to get so linked with God in prayer and God is going to meet their needs. We are so confident that God's going to... Are we? I think it's a great question. Are we confident God hears the prayer? A secret prayer. I mean, have we prayed prayers that only God heard and only God could answer, and then He did that? So we need to look back like the children of Israel to those times. And and I'm going to be honest with you. I was converted at 17 years of age. But I didn't learn to pray until I was 30 years old. I traveled with some friends around the country for a handful of years, and they were excellent preachers, tremendous But as I began to travel a length of time, I noticed that we we didn't really pray over the meal because they felt like it was legalistic. And then I noticed before meetings, there wasn't a huge emphasis of prayer. Although these men had a tremendous biblical knowledge and an ability to communicate the Word of God. 
And so when I realized that that was not a direction that God was going to take my life and I come back to the farm, I remember a period of three years of our life, Julie and I, where I was just so distraught. As a minister, all of the expectations that I had and what I thought God was going to do in our lives and ministry was completely changed at this point. And I remember there was like 18 months out of that three years where I was literally dying inside. Even though I was a Christian and I was converted to Christ and knew that there was forgiveness of my sin and I knew some things about the Bible, I didn't realize it, but God needed to teach me how to pray. God needed to teach me how to pray. After 13 years of serving Him and preaching and people telling me, will you pray for me? I wasn't praying for them. I mean, what kind of responsibility is that? For somebody to come to you and say, will you pray? I mean, there's people in this service today I may not talk to every day of the week, but you're on my prayer list. This morning, early in the morning, when I went to a little closet and shut the door, and I pray for my brothers and sisters that are recovering that we don't see very often, and I'm praying for you, that's because God wants to trust us with something. When somebody calls us and says, will you pray for me? Or we know they're sick, and we have some out today that have made, made uh, a trip north, and, and we're asking God, we're praying for them. We're not just saying we're praying for you. And man, for 18 months I was dying inside, and all the expectations of ministry, it was the first time in my life ever I remember feeling so discouraged. It's the first time ever. And for 18 months, it was just like, down. Dad just didn't know. And I noticed that when I didn't have this objective with God and in ministry, that everything else I was trying to do, I just seemed so powerless at it. There was no passion. I wasn't doing my job with zeal. And I'm sure if my wife was honest then, it was like, you know, there wasn't any like big volcanic problems, but I'm sure I just wasn't myself. I mean... I can remember my mother saying during that period of time, like, man, we'd want to help. We could see you're discouraged. Just don't know what to do. Don't know how to help you. But God was having to teach a preacher how to pray. And I thank God that He took time with me to do that. And that it didn't just take like a week or a few days to learn how to pray. I thank God that He allowed me 18 months to die to what I used to trust. But the following 18 months, I remember hitting my knees and rounding my bedside, not knowing what the Lord would do. And maybe you're hearing this today, and it may not be the same circumstance, but in some ways you wonder what the future and your days and your life is doing, and you're just not sure. And maybe this message, I hope, will encourage you to get in this little spot in a little closet or a place you can go and just get alone with God. And don't do all the talking all the time. Talk half the time and then sit there very still the other half, because He really does want to respond to you. He really does, when He hears you pray, He really does dispatch some things that we don't understand. But I remember the 18 months after that, God taught me prayer, and we were sitting in a wonderful uh, church in our town, and a ministry that's there, and they give us a key uh, to the church building, and, and my wife and I and children, before we would get ice cream, I said, let's just start going by the church and we'll go up to the altar. And so our whole family, it would be fun because we was going to get ice cream, but before we went to get ice cream, we just ran. The kids could, could run up and prayer was a wonderful thing to go do. And my favorite song I learned in this church was the Lord of the Dance. 
Oh, I love that old hymn. The Lord of the Dance. And my family, we would get on the altars and we'd say, God, what do you want out of us? And God began to send me on the streets. And it wasn't what I expected in ministry. It, it certainly didn't pay like any money. You wouldn't go for money. And man, it didn't pay anything. They never put my name. Like, like today, if you read or you listen to a radio broadcast, and it might say, you know, pastor of Riverton First Baptist Church. So what? So what? Because there's a lot of days it was just dark and there wasn't anybody. And we had an ice storm and my oldest daughter and we went and cut some logs down and we made a cross that stood nine feet tall. And when we'd crawl on the altar, my family, God would share with our own hearts an agreement on where uh, we would go minister and God would send me to different locations. Sometimes you would see results and sometimes you wouldn't. But I found out that there was that place of prayer where God could speak so quietly to the heart that it would equip the saint to do many things that he couldn't do within his own strength. And God was beginning to teach me prayer. And I began to notice that in the midst of my own expectations dying and God's expectations coming to life in the place of prayer and the secret life that God was starting to do, and I started to see all these wonderful things of lives being changed, and I noticed that knocks on the door would come and they would say, would you pray for me? And it was, it was tremendous. Do you know what it feels like for God to trust you with somebody's problem? And that He could send somebody to your house you don't hardly know? And why would they knock on your door and ask you to pray for them? I mean, what has God done in them that they would come and knock on your door? This is what I want all of you to, to be able to experience and know that God will do this. But first, we're going to have to commit to Him and say, God, I've done so many things. I like different types of worship music. I like different types of preaching. I love the Bible. I love that You forgave my sin, but God, I'm not spending enough time with You. I want to spend more time with You, Lord, because there's something in me that's undone today. Even though I'm doing all of these other things, there's something that's not done in me that You do. And I begin to notice those times we would just relish getting on our knees and going and God would begin to give strength and encouragement. And if you're fighting and you don't have any joy and you don't have the strength that you once had or hope in God, do you know that you can actually bow on your knees in the middle of the silence with the Lord and He can renew your strength? I mean, He can do this. This is something that's always happened in the Bible. But in America, we've got away from trusting in God first in prayer. And we start to trust in a lot of other things we can do. And I'm as guilty as any man, even as a pastor in the last few years. It's amazing as stuff starts going and, and lives start coming and things are happening, how much you can start to trust everything but prayer. But I can tell you that God has begun to renew within the congregation a sense of prayer and the need for prayer. And so in Luke 11, 1, Lord teach us how to pray. I believe is our prayer at Riverton First Baptist Church that we're going to read the Bible and pray. And maybe you say, you know what, preacher? What do I do about getting in there and all of these thoughts running wild? Some of my instruction is take the Bible with you. Open the book of Psalms and find a psalm you can read as a prayer back to God. It will bring your mind to the place it needs to be. Some of this is very common. I want to read a few verses of Scripture as I begin to wrap up this morning. In 1 Timothy chapter 2, verse 1, if you're taking notes, Paul wrote to Timothy and they said, I exhort you therefore that first of all, supplications, prayers, intercession, and giving of thanks be made for all men. First of all. 
So the first thing Paul told the young Timothy to do in the church, first of all, make sure supplications and prayers, giving of thanks are made for all men. Make sure of that. In other words, Timothy, you make sure in this new church, you make sure the first thing you all do is supplication, prayer, and giving of thanks for all men. In Acts chapter 1, verse 14, it said, These all continued with one accord in prayer and supplication. There's prayer and supplication again. And we know what happened in Acts chapter 1. The blow up of the church, the Holy Spirit's descendant. God began to do uh, miracles, signs, all kinds of things at the hands of the apostles. Not because of who they were, but because of who the God was that raised Christ from the dead. They were now embracing and bowing their knee to Him, getting in one accord in prayer. It didn't say a worship service. It didn't say during the preacher. A great preaching. Although they did fabulous preaching. Wonderful worship services, I'm sure of it. The fourth chapter of Acts, And when they had prayed, the place was shaken where they were assembled together. They were filled with the Holy Spirit, and they spoke the Word of God with boldness. If you're having trouble speaking the Word of God boldly in a circumstance, the place of prayer is going to give you strength to do that. The place was absolutely shaken because of prayer. How much can we be touched in preaching even or a worship service in the area of emotion? It's not a problem that you feel good about God being wonderful and you can worship Him. The problem is, is when we trust our emotion more than we do God and when we bow ourselves in prayer, we begin to bow ourselves to the God, not of emotion, but the God of solidarity who sent Christ who was the rock that in every circumstance you can find your footing in Him and you'll never stand taller in God than when you bowed your knees in prayer. Nobody bowing their knee in prayer will have to worry about the standing against the storms of this life because the God who said you can begin to humble yourself before the mighty hand of God and He will then exalt you in due season. So if they say, Pastor, where has been your greatest strength in ministry? I would say when I go to my knees, tears come out of my eyes, my heart is softened, right there God begins to give me the strength I need that I cannot find anywhere else in the world. You can't teach it in a seminary, you can't buy it with enough money of millionaires across the country, but when you bow your knee, God does something that cannot be done in anyone but His own child. And then we go forward to the ninth chapter of Acts, and the Lord said to them in the 11th verse, he said unto him, Arise and go to the street which is called Straight, and inquire in the house of Judas for one called Saul. Now notice what he said about Saul. He was of Tarsus, for behold, he prayeth. How did God identify Paul? Soon to be, used to be Saul. Paul the apostle. You go look for him. Yeah, who am I looking for? It's a man that prays. The first thing Paul began to do was pray in his life. Jeremiah 33.3 says, If you'll call unto me, I will answer you, and I will show you great and mighty things which you know not. If you will call unto me, and if you'll read the fourth chapter of Genesis, the end of that chapter said that Seth was born, and his son, and then men begin to call upon the name of the Lord. And when they begin to call upon the name of the Lord... There was a God in heaven who would respond to the prayer of a person who begins to worship Him as being supreme in their life. You also have young David facing Goliath. He walks up into the valley 
They had been doing all they could do. I'm sure Israel was trying to adjust. If, they was, if Israel's fight with Goliath that day was like the Church of America, in our day they were all headed to the conference, all trying to figure out how to build the church, how to get the job done correctly. They're probably arguing over what songs to sing, what the preacher should do, all of these things. But when the smoke cleared, you had a young David who was a young man crawled down in the valley. The big man who was supposedly the mega church of the day said to the young man who was overlooked originally, am I a dog that you would send this young man out here with a stick? But David did something that was so miraculous by the hand of God. He knew how to keep sheep. He had done it in his own pasture. I thank God that he can bring you off the farm and doesn't have to take you out of a seminary to teach you the place of prayer and who is the highest. And he stood before Goliath and he said, you have come to me with a sword and a spear, but I have come to you in the name of the Lord of hosts of heaven. And God got a victory that day that was never found again other than by the hands of a God who's big enough to find us in our deepest depravity and then help us out. And God got a victory. And he will do it for this church and any church who bows their knee to a God who is supreme. He is faithful. Thanks for listening to today's broadcast. If you would like to learn more about our church, we would love to hear from you. Our telephone number is 620-848-3347. Or you may write to us at Post Office Box 400, Riverton, Kansas 66770. We're also on Facebook and online at RivertonFBC.com. The church is located just two blocks north of the Riverton Quick Stop and one block west on Bluebird Lane, or one block south of Community Bank and Trust and one block east also on Bluebird Lane. Our worship services are Sunday mornings at 1045 and Wednesday nights at 7. We also have small group Bible studies available for children, youth, and adults. On behalf of Brother Aaron Williams and the entire congregation at FBCR, this is Downtown Keith Brown inviting you to join us again next Sunday morning for another exciting message from God's Word. Have a great week and God bless.